Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. was going to be mad at us because of how we got prayer started this morning with our prayer team uh, and uh, just our volunteers and our staff, everyone that serves. We gather at 945 to pray, and I just knew by the presence of God and, and just the encouragement there that, that God was going to be up to something today too, and so uh, you kind of expect technical difficulties, but nothing is difficult for the Lord, and uh, we just have to be patient and not make it about us, and God is able to do powerful things. So today, we are going to go cow tipping. Somebody say cow tipping. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, hey, let's go cow tipping. Has anybody here ever actually been cow tipping? Anyone? Well, I'm the only one raising my hand because I actually have gone cow tipping. Believe it or not, when I was in high school, the first Christian band I ever began playing in. It was uh, uh, some friends of our family. They had a family band, and they asked me to play guitar with them. And they lived out in the country, and they all lived on farms. Like, all the relatives lived in the same area, so it was like 15 family farms that belonged to the, the whole family. And one night after rehearsal, we, uh, we were, you know, they invited me to stay over, and so we're there, we're in bed, and of course we couldn't sleep because we were having too much fun. And so we're like, man, what should we do? We're kind of bored. We're, you know, in at night. What, what should we do? And I don't know who had the idea, but someone's like, let's go cow tipping. And the reason why we had that thought, because, you know, the movie Tommy Boy had just recently come out with Chris Farley. And, and you know, he gave perfect instructions on how to tip a cow. You can keep your, you know, feet shoulder width apart. You stay between the udder and the hawk, and you just lean your shoulder into it. And it's a 32 belly option on two. You know, it's just, uh, just perfect instructions. It didn't go so well for him in the movie, but, you know, we thought we'd give it a shot. So we, we went out, we started walking around uh, around the field looking for cows sleeping standing up, because that's the thing. you got to find a sleeping cow. And lo and behold, we never found a cow sleeping standing up, so we didn't know what to do. And one of the guys we were with, he said, you know, my, my uncle has a pasture of cows over here. Uh, maybe we could go over there and look. And so we're like, okay, we're not doing anything else. Let's go look over in that pasture. We get into the field, and we're walking, and they're like, shh, you got to be really quiet. It's like, we can be here. We just have to look out for the 3,000-pound bull in the field. What? Not more did he say those words than we hear this low guttural moan and this thumping. We turn to each other and we're like, let's get out of here. We jump back over the fence and we get behind this big old bale of hay. And not two seconds after that, this giant black as sin Bull comes up to the fence just staring at us like, you better think twice. So that not only was the first, but it was also the last time I went cow tipping for me. So that, that was my, my uh, story for you today. But today in the story of the Exodus, we're still in this story as God is dealing with this people. He's trying to cultivate into a people for himself. And last week we saw how God descended on the mountain. His presence came in the flaming fire, whirlwind smoke, the earth shook. 
Uh, the people were in fear because of the sight that they saw. God speaks from the mountain, and he speaks to Moses. And as God was moving in our circle, our worship gathering, we encountered the presence of God. Two people gave their lives to Jesus, said yes to Jesus. That's worth it. It's worth all the technical difficulties in the world for people to say yes to the Lord Jesus. So two people came to Christ. Many were touched and, and had encounters with the Lord as they came forward. Many in your seats I know have given testimony that they could feel God's presence. They were moved in, in this place. God was definitely with us. God was on the mountain. God was speaking not just to Moses, but physically so that the people could hear his voice. And literally, as God is on the mountain, God speaks. The people are so afraid. They say, God, we don't, we don't want to hear your voice. Just speak to Moses. Let, let Moses speak to us. And they kind of reject the invitation that God was giving the people. And so God, after he gives the Ten Commandments, he declares them with his own mouth. He calls Moses back up the mountain. He invites 70 other elders of Israel up to the mountain with them, but they could only go so far. And God tells Moses to have the elders wait on the mountain at a certain point, and then for Moses to continue on, to actually come into the presence, into the glory, the fire, the smoke, the whirlwind, to be in the very presence of God. Can you imagine being Moses in that moment? Like, wow. To be in the middle of a blazing fire and not be singed or burnt. The mountain was scorched, but Moses remained untouched. Wow. Moses, before he goes into the presence of God, appoints Aaron and this man named Hur to be in charge as he's away. And Moses is away on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights with God alone. One day, beloved, we'll be in his presence for all eternity. Moses got an incredible privilege. But the number 40 has symbolic meaning. In the Bible, the number 40 is connected with a season of testing or trial. The Jews wander the wilderness for 40 days. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. And here Moses is in the presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights. And during this time, God is downloading to Moses the law. He gives them the Ten Commandments, handwritten on a stone. God himself writes the law on two tablets of stone for Moses as a sign of this relationship, this covenant with, with God and his people. As well as he begins to tell Moses how to build a tabernacle, this tent where God would literally dwell where wherever the Israelites went, wherever they took the tent in the Ark of the Covenant, that's where God would be found. That God was relaying how you, you want my presence with you, you want to be my people. This is how I want you to build the place where I will meet with you. And so he gives him all of these instructions while he's away, including the special robes of clothing for the priests, how to make all the instruments, all the articles and artifacts for the tabernacle. But while Moses is gone, during this 40 days, he's on the mountain having this incredible otherworldly experience with God. The people begin to grumble again as they did before. First it was about water, not having pure water. Then it was not about having meat to eat. And then there was no bread. And then uh, again they were grumbling about water. They begin to grumble again and they approach Aaron with a request. 
Because not only did they figure out they had a problem, they also came up with their own solution to the problem. And here's our, we'll begin our reading in Exodus chapter 32. We'll be there mostly today if you have your Bible. We'll jump around a little bit. But in Exodus 32, here's what they say when they come to Aaron. It says, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and the sons and daughters and bring them to me. And all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. These are the gods. And Aaron saw how excited the people were, so they built an altar. He built an altar in front of the calf, and he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. So the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. So Israel... The people has Aaron make a golden calf. And not only does he make an idol out of this gold, but he boldly declares to the people, these are the gods who led you out of Egypt. Now to backtrack for just a moment so you know what's happening here, really immerse yourself in the story when God rained down the plagues on Egypt, one of the plagues was a plague against cattle. The Egyptians used to worship livestock and cattle. There was an Egyptian god named Hathor who also had a child named Heset. She was depicted as a cow, Heset depicted as a calf, and they were considered the gods of or creators of nourishment. And so they would worship these gods as if they were the ones that took care of of the people. And what Israel is doing right now in this moment is they had Aaron, who's supposed to be the high priest of God, create gods reflecting the ones they worshiped in Egypt. And though he made only one calf out of gold, we've recently discovered the golden calf altar in the plains and mountain uh, area of Sinai. If you can show the first picture on the screen, this is the golden calf altar where the golden calf was set on the top of this rock formation. And if we go to the next picture, on this altar you see inscriptions of calves all over it. Go ahead to the next one. These are other inscriptions. When God said, don't make any graven image, this is what he's referring to. So not only did the golden calf sit on top of the rock formation, they etched in these rocks these images of calves. Go to the next one. That's it. Why this is significant? Because not long before, God was speaking from the mountain. God himself in the fire, in the whirlwind, the flame, and the smoke. And he's giving the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20, verses 4 through 5, God himself says, You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind, or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Somebody say jealous God. 
This isn't jealousy like envy that we deal with. This is someone who his heart gets broken when what rightfully belongs to him is stolen away. He's, I'm a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even the children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. What is God saying? He's saying to worship another God is equal to rejecting God. To bow down to another altar, to an image of something the creator created, is a way to reject him. So because the people got impatient waiting for Moses, they thought maybe this Moses guy wasn't coming back. Rather than turning to the Lord, they came up with a better solution. They asked their spiritual leader to break God's covenant to make an idol and graven images for them to worship. Now I want to show you something that is so powerful and so significant. Watch this clip. Now, on top of the golden calf altar, this would have been the place where the golden calf was placed on this big pile. It's a natural formation of rocks. Now, right there, that's Mount Sinai, at the base of which, right up here, is Moses' altar and the pillars and so forth. For those that were worshiping out here on the plain below, this was the mountain that was on fire as they were in the process of worshiping the golden calf. From the altar itself, in the back, you can see the mountain of God. Keep in mind, Moses is still on the mountain with the fire, the whirlwind, the flames, and the smoke of God. They can see the Lord. They can see God. And they turn away to go their own way. This would be like a bride and groom at the altar at their marriage ceremony. And the bride becoming impatient because the groom's taking too long to make his vows. And she turns in view of everyone and commits adultery with the best man. This is what's happening at the golden calf. It breaks my heart. In Exodus 32 verse 7, the Lord tells Moses as they're having this conversation, he's saying, quick, go down the mountain. Can you hear the intensity in the voice of God as he's watching his beloved bride commit adultery before him? As his glory is being revealed and they're spitting on his face. He's saying, quick, go down. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly have they turned away from the way I've commanded them to live? They've melted down gold and made a calf. They bowed down and sacrificed to it. They're saying, these are the gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. These people. Then the Lord said, I've seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them. And I will destroy them. And I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. 
But Moses tried to pacify the Lord. Oh, Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Let, why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them off of the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them all this land I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. Verse 14, so the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he threatened to bring on the people. Can you imagine being God in this moment? It's hard. Can you imagine watching your spouse on the day of your wedding in front of the view of you and all the people? And the fury in your heart and the anguish in your heart. And then to be reminded of the vows you took. And elevate them above the transgression of the one you love. I envy Moses. Don't you want to have the kind of relationship with God Moses had? Where God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to enact justice. And Moses says, whoa, God. Mercy. Grace. And God listened. That type of relationship only comes through intimacy. God says, leave me alone so that I may do this. Moses didn't leave him alone. He pressed in. He pushed in. He didn't abandon. He didn't cower in fear. He said, no, God, I know who you are. I know what you promised. I know what you're like. And God gave grace. And I think it's because not only was God enamored by Moses' heart for the people, but I believe God also knew Moses had a heart for the Lord. God knew Moses wasn't just interceding for the people, that Moses was going to stand up for God. And Moses leaves that mountain with the Ten Commandments in hand and fury on his heart. He was angry. Verse 15, it said, Then Moses turned and went down the mountain. He held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed with both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. Then Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them, and he exclaimed to Moses, It sounds like war in the camp. But Moses replied, no, it's a shout of victory. It's not a shout of victory, nor the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of celebration. When they came near to the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger, and he threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. Then he ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and forced the people to drink it. Beloved, if you dance with the devil, you will drink the consequences of your decision. When we think we know better than God, we will ultimately turn away from him to two other things, to things that satisfy our sinful and selfish desires. 
This is what Satan did. He's the cherubim that covered the throne of God, and he looked at God's glory, and he said, yeah, God, you're pretty special, but I have an idea that is better. I'm going to raise my throne above even yours, and I'll be worshipped. Adam in the Garden of Eden said, yeah, God, you said not to eat the fruit, but I have a better idea on how to elevate myself, and so I'm going to go my own way. I have a better idea than what you have spoken. See, a golden calf, a sacred cow, is anything that we devote ourselves to emotionally, physically, spiritually, or financially that takes God's place in our lives. Anything that gets in the way of our relationship with God is a golden calf. It's a sacred cow. Where do we go to for comfort when we're feeling stressed out? Our comforter or another person, another relationship, maybe an intimate encounter. Maybe we indulge ourselves in food and in drink. Paul in the New Testament, he said, some have made their a God out of their stomach, craving the only things that they desire. That there are things we go to for comfort when he alone is our comforter. We go to things that, and go to great lengths to seek comfort from things that will leave us hungry, thirsty, dissatisfied, and broken. Where do we go for peace? A drug? An addiction? Maybe it's entertainment, just a continual numbing of the mind so that we don't have to deal with our problems, our phones, and our devices. We spend so much time checking out that we don't even feel right unless we have some kind of stimuli. I was so blessed by Virginia's testimony. I asked her if I could share this this week. She said last week when we were fasting leading up to last Sunday that one of the things that she would do all the time in her home is to let the TV play just to have some noise. And often it was on the court dramas, the right, the, uh, you know, like Steve Wilkos and some of the, you know, Judge Judy type stuff. And it was just not, nothing bad, but just negative, 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 negative. So what God laid on her heart was to fast that and actually replace that with worship music or something that would center her on God. And her response was, it has changed the environment of my home. And I've been guilty of this. My wife is my guardian angel. Even things that are good for you, you can fill your mind with so many voices that you drown out the voice of the Lord. And we go to these things because honestly, we're not okay with just being silent and still. We're not okay with our own thoughts, our own feelings. Sometimes we just become overly busy because we don't feel normal unless we're on the move, focused on the next thing. When the Word of God says, He keeps in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on Him. Where do we find purpose? Is it in our family and our kids? Is it in our job, our career? Or maybe it's in some skill, some talent, or some ability, and we let that define who we are. Beloved, what are you devoting yourself to for your provision? What are you devoting yourself to for your prosperity? What are you devoting yourself to for your strength? What are you devoting yourself to for your identity? Is it your gender, your sexuality? What are you devoting yourself to to find joy? 
See, when you worship a golden calf, you will drink the consequences of turning away, of putting something else in God's place. People will let you down. Overindulgence in food and drink will cause health issues. Drugs kill. Entertainment never satisfies. You go from one thing to the next. Phones and devices increase anxiety while trying to dumb it down. Busyness leads to stress and health issues and the breakdown of relationships. Your family will one day move away. Your job may change. You might get injured ending your talent or your ability. But the one constant in all your life is your relationship with Jesus Christ. The one constant, the immovable rock, the hope we have in Christ. God said, thou shall not make any graven images. Why? Because no matter how smart we are, how talented we are, our ways are not his ways. Your thoughts are not his thoughts. You can't think high enough to capture the essence of who he is. Any attempt is futile. God is saying, your ideas of what I should be fall flat every time because I alone can define who I am because I am that I am. I am that I am. Israel's first rejection was that they chose a man over the creator of man. Their second rejection is that they chose to alter God to fit into the image of their wicked desires. Romans chapter 1, Paul says they exchanged the truth for a lie and they worshiped the creature over the creator and all manner of sin and perversion was produced. When we choose the wisdom of man over the wisdom of God, we will erect spiritual altars, spiritual belief systems to justify our sin. That creates spiritual strongholds that come against the knowledge of God, that comes against what God is using to lead us into the blessed life he's prepared for us. These altars are designed to change God into what we think, what he should be. And this world is giving us its best effort, its best effort to manipulate us in putting our faith and trust into things that cannot satisfy, things that cannot save, that will ultimately lead us defeated and discouraged. So in my heart, I believe God is telling us that the greatest pressure is either going to produce great faith or great failure, great courage or great compromise. In Exodus 32, 21, finally Moses goes to Aaron and says, he turns to Aaron and he demanded, what did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Don't get upset, my Lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods that will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Notice it was Moses who led them and not God. If I remember right, Moses wasn't in the fire, the pillar, and the, and the cloud. It was the Lord. Moses didn't part the sea. It was the breath of God. But we don't know what happened to this man. Verse 24, so I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And when they brought it to me, I simply threw it in the fire and now came this calf. I'm Moses. Aaron? So let me get this right. They just brought you this big pot of gold. Threw it in the fire. Now pop this calf. <laughs> 
Gold ring, gold calf. Makes sense to me. I just, it's hilarious, but can you hear the ridiculousness going on in this moment? Aaron was petrified of the people, so he caved. He compromised. He sinned. Moses calls him out, and he's scared of what Moses thinks, so he caves, and he lies to cover his sin. Beloved, God is looking for a people who will fear him above all else, who will stand up for righteousness, and do not bow to the pressures of men. The world says, your God is not politically correct. He needs to change. Your God does not affirm my choices and my feelings. He needs to change. Your God is mean and he won't let me do what I want to do. He needs to change. Your God is old-fashioned. Doesn't he know that we've evolved beyond this? He needs to change. There are many different churches and even Christian groups today that have altered the message of the word, who have altered the image of the true God and fashioned him into a culturally relevant God, and now they worship a different Jesus. They worship a different God. They're Christian in name only because they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They've altered the true God into the image of the God of their own selfish desires. It's a golden calf in the place of the one true and living God being worshipped on the altar of culture. See, when we alter the word of God to create a picture of God that fits our ideas of what we should be like, we end up bowing to an altar of falsehood that leads to a bitter end. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus is teaching, and he says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Beloved, it's not about what you do. It's about who you know. It's about who you are. If we try to transform God into something else. That phrase, you who work iniquity, that means self-will. They did these miracles, these signs, these wonders, these great religious things in the name of Jesus, but they did it to satisfy their own selfish desires. They were really worshiping their own desires, following their own perversity, and elevating their pride, and elevating their own religious splendor. Look how great I am because of what I can do. And I did it all in the name of Jesus. That which I wanted to do. They had a religion, but they had no relationship. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Depart from me, you who break God's laws. But if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul says people like this act religious, but they deny the power that can make them holy, the power of a transformed life through faith in Jesus and a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. One where the Spirit of God leads you into all truth and into the holiness of God. If we try to transform God into something else other than who He is, we're violating the nature of relationship. I mean, think about it. You wouldn't try to change your friend into 
who you want them to be. You love your friends as they are. That's why they're your friend. They love you as you are. You love them the way they are. But this is what Israel was doing. They violated the essence of their covenant relationship with God by making an altar according to their own will, making idols for themselves and claiming these gods were the gods that led them to freedom. They took God who he was and they transformed him into something else that fit their own idea of what he should be. And the part that got me about this study this week, the part that just made me cry just thinking about the goodness of God. Have you ever just stopped and thought about the goodness of God? Back in chapter 20 of Exodus, as God is thundering out the Ten Commandments, at the end of his word, he turns to Moses in verse 22, and it says, The Lord says to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. You saw for yourselves that I spoke to you from heaven. Remember, you must not make any idols of silver or gold to rival me. Like he was prophesying in this moment, I'm going to bring a test to the people of Israel. Remind them, don't mess this one up. Don't make an altar. Don't make a graven image. Don't fail to pass this test. No matter how long I delay, don't turn away. Stay faithful. Don't make an idol for yourself because the breakthrough, it's on its way to you. Stay faithful. In verse 24, he says, build for me an altar made of earth and offer your sacrifices to me, your burnt offerings and peace offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Build my altar wherever I cause my name to be remembered, and I will come to you and bless you. If you use stones to build my altar, use only natural uncut stones. Do not shape the stones with a tool, for that would make the altar unfit for holy use. Why does God go from talking about the Ten Commandments into instruction about altars? It's because when you get a glimpse of God's glory, the only response is praise. The only response is worship. What else can you do? What else can you say? I was thinking about this this week. The angels in the book of Revelation, John, seeing the throne of God, he sees angels around the throne, and he says, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Over and over and over again, they never cease to proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I was thinking about this this week, and I was like, God, why don't they say anything else? Like, they're angels. they got to be pretty smart. There's probably other things that they could say. And just the Spirit of God, I just believe, spoke to my heart, and he's saying, what else is there to say? What else is there? I am holy. I'm indescribable. I am glorious. There's nothing else to say. To just say that. It's sufficient. He's beyond our understanding. And I was thinking that in this moment as they're encountering God on the mountain, Moses goes right to building an altar and he instructs about sacrifices. And God is saying, if you go to worship, if you're going to build an altar, if you're going to properly honor me, do it this way. Do it in this fashion. And at the base of Mount Sinai, there's actually the altar, the remnants of the altar of Moses are still there. I think we have a picture of it on the screen. You can see the chutes where the animals would walk down, and then the lower area is a base where the animals were sacrificed. Go to the next one. There's another view where you can see it, and the next one. 
You can see the, the animal sheets there in the back and remnants of the 12 pillar stones that they made back during this time are still there at the Mount Sinai. It's awesome. But you can see in your mind that God is saying, build an altar of earth of uncut stone. Why does God only accept worship from an altar of uncut stone? Why doesn't he let us get our tools out, fashion it up, polish it up, shine it, engrave it, make it, make it all shiny and sparkly? I can liken it to an experience many of us have each week. Have you ever been to Starbucks and waited in line and kind of pulled a physical shaking my head emoji to the orders people are ordering in front of you? Like, there's like this secret menu that some people know about, and they're throwing out all these funky things that, that you're like, where did they get that? What, man, I didn't even know that was an option. I don't know what a vegan anything is. You know, I just like, there's just like these, all these different options that you can choose. So I decided to Google the longest Starbucks order that's available. And according to Google, you ready for it? It's the double ristretto, venti, half soy, non-fat, decaf, organic, chocolate, brownie, ice, vanilla, double shot, gingerbread, frappuccino, extra hot with foam, whipped cream, upside down, double blended, one sweet and low, one neutral sweet, and ice. <laughs> Legitimate Starbucks order, probably from California. I'm going to say California. How's it, California? People are so particular about their orders. When you get your order from Starbucks and you take a drink, you know when it's not right. You can taste it. And ain't nobody paying $7 for a drink that ain't right. That's just too much. So what do you do? This ain't right. I'm taking it back to the counter. You're going to remake my drink. Thank you very much. Make sure you spell my name right on the cup. Right? It's just the way it is. People are so particular. It doesn't taste right. It doesn't sit well on your tongue. God has also placed an order regarding how we worship him. In Exodus 25, 40, God says, Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. What is he saying? He's saying, I don't accept worship in a manner in which I did not order. It doesn't taste right. It doesn't sit well on my tongue. Jesus said there's coming a day when true worshipers will arise and worship in spirit and truth. There is a way God wants to be worshipped. What is God's flavor? God's flavor is absolute holiness. Leviticus 11.44, he says, I am the Lord your God. You must consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am what, beloved? I am holy. Be holy because I am holy. Be set apart. Be unlike anything else because that is who I am. Be holy. God wants a people to be holy like he is holy. A call to a relationship with God is a call to holiness. But you see, we have a problem. It's called sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Just like Israel, every one of us in our lives at some point have looked at God's glory. He's gone a different way. <laughs> the 
said, God, I don't want you. I want business. And God said, that doesn't taste right. <laughs> Exodus twenty twenty five. God said, if you use stones to build my altar... Only use natural, uncut stones. Don't shape the stones with a tool, for that would make the altar what? Unfit for holy use. Anything else but what I've said, anything else than what I've declared, you can't improve upon what I've created, what I designed. Don't you see? I designed the rock. You can't improve it. You don't have it in you to make something good enough. Sin stains your hands. And it touches everything you touch. It corrupts everything. The best you have to offer is like filthy rags. There's nothing in you that can be good enough to earn my glory. Everything fails the standard of holiness. Beloved, don't dress up your sinfulness and try to pass it off as something good. Don't be prideful and pretend like you have no sin. In 1 John 1.8 it says, if you say you don't have sin, you're fooling yourself. All have sin. If you say you have no sin or I don't struggle or I don't have any issues, it's your pride that's your golden calf. It's in the way and it needs to be ground down so you can see past a false altar and look beyond at the top of the mountain where the glory of God is still gloriously shining. This is so vital for us not to miss what God is saying. Because if you have a relationship with God in 1 Peter 2.5, here's what Peter says. He says, and you are living what, beloved? You are living what, beloved? You are living Stones that God is building into his temple. What's more, you are his holy priest through the mediation of Jesus Christ. You offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Just as an uncut stone is pulled from the ground and placed into the place of worship in the Lord, you have been pulled out of the world. And placed. On his altar, in his temple. Exodus 24, 6. It says, Moses drained half the blood from the animals in the basins and the other he splattered against the altar. And Moses took the blood from the basins and splattered over the people declaring, Look, this blood confirms the covenant that the Lord has made with you in giving these instructions they build the altar of Moses long before the golden calf. The place of worship, the place of honoring God is already in place. And it's the blood that ratifies the relationship. The blood sanctifies and purifies the altar 
for a holy use. And God has taken you living stones and put him on his altar. And the blood of Jesus has covered you and sanctified you for holy use. It's by grace alone. You are saved by faith alone, not by your works. You can't do it. You can't even try. Before you begin a relationship with God, you have to admit you're a sinner. Religious people love to dress up their sin. Jesus said they're like whitewashed tombs. They're beautiful on the outside, but inside they're filled with dead man's bones. You're washing the outside of your cup, but inside it's still filthy. That's what religion does. It says, if I do all this stuff, I'll look good and God will like me. But Jesus is saying, and God is saying here through Israel, you can't do it. I don't care about the outside. I care about your heart. And if you're going to come to me, you have to come like an uncut stone, chipped and broken. You have to come as you are. Fall at my feet. Come the same. And you're going to leave changed. In Romans 5, 6 through 11. I'm going to invite my wife to come and get ready to lead us into worship. But in Romans 5, it says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came just at the right time and died for sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for you and you and you and you and you. By sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. Do you, do you understand what he's saying? You wouldn't die for a good person. Maybe, just maybe, if someone was exceptionally great, like a Mother Teresa or somebody we revere in society, you might be willing. But Jesus looked at each uncut stone. And said yes to me. I'm willing. And since we've been made right in God's sight by what? The blood of Christ. He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son. While we're still enemies. We will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because the Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. <laughs> Beloved, the invitation to the whole world, the essence of the gospel is to come the same but leave change. Come as an enemy and leave as a best friend. Come like Moses into the presence and hear the voice of the Lord. 
He wants to make out of you a great nation. He wants to bless your legacy, your family, your friends, everyone around you, because he wants to bring the kingdom of God into you so that through you he can unleash the kingdom of God. He wants you to come chipped and broken so you can leave healed and whole. And I believe there are some of you here today that need to begin a relationship with Jesus. There's never been a time in your life where you got on your hands and knees and you said, Lord, I'm chipped and I'm broken. And I need you. The blood of Jesus to come and make me clean and make me holy. To begin a relationship with God so that he knows you. And when you stand before him, it's not depart from me, it's well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of the Lord. If you're here today and you need to begin a relationship with Jesus, in just a moment when we begin to stand and we begin to worship, we invite you to come and get with one of our prayer team members and we'll celebrate with you as you begin the most important event in your life. It's called new birth, new life, new creation. You come to Jesus. But I also believe there's some here today who have a relationship with God. You have a relationship with the Lord. But there are areas in your life, there are things you're still turning to, clinging to, running to, that are taking the place of Jesus in your life. Things you're turning to for fulfillment, for comfort, for purpose. There's some sacred cows in your life that need to get tipped over. There's some addictions. There's some pursuits. There's some lies, some beliefs. Some things that need to be ground into the dust and cast away. And like Israel, you're not going to be able to draw close to the presence of God, to draw close to the glory if you're still turning to bow at the altar of a sacred cow. God has invited you to come to the foot of the mountain. Come to worship at the table of the Lord. Come into the presence of God as his most intimate friend. But as long as you're turning to those golden calves, those sacred cows, you're going to keep yourself and the Lord at a distance. choice really is, which altar are you going to bow before? The altar of the Lord, or are you going to turn to an idol altar that can't save you, that can't hear you, that can't help you, but is going to leave you hurt and broken time and time again? What are you turning to in your marriage? What are you turning to in your career, in your job? Your personal time, what are you turning to that needs to be turned over? In just a moment when we stand, if you're ready to knock over some sacred cows, we're going to invite you to come. James 5 says, confess your sins one to another, pray for each other that you may be healed. God's ready to do a healing work in your life, to bring some breakthrough today for those who are ready to stand up and stand for righteousness and say, no more God, I'm not bowing anymore. I'm coming to you. I'm giving you my whole heart. I'm giving you what you ordered. A person who loves you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Nothing's off the table. Everything's off the altar. And I'm placing myself at your feet.
If you're ready to break the addiction, God has freedom for you. If you're ready to get over fear, God has breakthrough for you. If you're ready to find hope in your hopelessness, God has hope prepared for you. If you're ready to find courage in your discouragement, God has courage for you. If you're ready to cast down guilt and shame, God has forgiveness for you. If you're ready to find freedom from every unholy influence holding you back from what God has created you to be, from what God has called you into, it's time to give Jesus. He's calling, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Let's come before the Lord. Before you can find breakthrough, you have to admit you have an issue. Come. Drop the show. Stop pretending. And come before the Lord chipped and broken. And let the blood of Jesus pour over you. Father in heaven, we glorify you in this place. God, your presence is all around. Your love is so good. And I thank you, God. I thank you for what you're doing and what you're about to do. Thank you for letting me have a sight, a seat at the table. God, I just pray against every lying voice right now that says I'm too old, I'm too tired, I'm, I'm, I'm too known. What will people think? What will people say? Oh, God doesn't love me that much. That's for somebody else. God, I just rebuke every lie of the enemy that's coming against people from taking a step of faith in Jesus' name. No more, God. Today we are your church. We are burning bright, God. We're answering the call. We're coming to your altar at the feet of your mountain. And we're saying, God, you are God and nothing else. God, you are Lord. Today, God, I thank you, Holy Spirit. Draw them. Draw them right now. Those that need to receive Jesus as their Savior. God, before we even say amen, even now, I just encourage you, get up from your seat and come forward. If you need breakthrough, come on right now in Jesus' name. And come on, we're going to do this thing. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.